Hello, everybody, and welcome back to this week's edition of the About to Review podcast, here to amplify diverse voices in media. I'm your host, as always, that guy named John. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast on your podcast platform of choice. It is listed everywhere you can find a podcast. Google Play, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Alexa via TuneIn, and you can also stream the episodes directly from the website abouttreeview.com, which is where you can find full links to the show notes and guests. If you want to support the show, there is a support tab on the website. There's a direct PayPal link as well as an Amazon wish list if you want to help out that way. Follow the podcast on social media at About to Review on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube.com slash About to Review. On this week's episode, it is chock full of a bunch of stuff. Some Emerald City Comic Con 2019 discussion and then reviews for Triple Threat, Gloria Bell, and us joining me on this week's adventure via Skype. Because again, it is a late night screening and a late night recording is Tim Hall, the people's critic. Hey, it's good to be back. Good to have you back, uh, even though it is just digitally. But it, hey, we, we make it work. Before we get into all of the geek news and the film reviews, is go to the original theme song created by Damon Randall of Ill-Mannered Media. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. All right, Tim. So, the geek news this week, it ranges from really interesting to really confusing. Uh, The first bit, so Suicide Squad 2, the movie that is going to happen no matter what, uh, whether we are expecting it or not. And, sorry, the sequel to the Oscar-winning Suicide Squad. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, Suicide Squad 2... When it comes out, helmed by James Gunn, they talked about it in, in an interview recently. This is a full reboot. This is not a sequel. This is a start-from-scratch reboot to a film that just came out a couple years ago. How do you feel about that? Um, I think it's what they're doing with their whole roster. Yeah. With, you know, Affleck's not going to return. Cowboy's not going to return. Cyborg's not returning. I think they have all these properties, and just the the. I mean, it's and it's smart. I mean, it would have been smart to do, for them to do it through Flash with, uh, you know, Flashpoint, the Flashpoint storyline. But you know, that movie has seen a million delays, so they just you know what, we're just gonna reboot these things and start from scratch, which is probably you know for the better. If you're gonna do these movies, I think this that's probably the best approach. I I think so too, and you and I have talked about it before. DC kind of got stuck in the Zack Snyder rut of dark and gritty. And I feel like this is another way that they are pivoting away from that with Shazam being super goofy from what we have seen so far. I think that this is their way of being like, okay, we are building a new kind of universe or kind of building it as we go. I don't even know if it's a universe. I think they're just doing these movies. Well, I'm enough. serious. I don't I don't think they're, and I think that's intentional. I don't think they're trying to build like a shared universe. I think they're just doing these 
characters that all live in the same universe, mm-hmm. but it, I don't think the movies are going to be uh, connected the way we've seen, you know, the X-Men movies and the Spider-Man movies and the Marvel movies. I don't think it's going to be any of that. Yeah, and I, I think you are right. I think that they could do some little things. Like, from what we have seen in Shazam in the trailer, we see a newspaper article about Superman. We see a Batarang, and that might be it. Yeah, I, they I mean, might do some more, but I don't, I don't think the movie's going to be as connected. Yeah, and so, I mean, because there were talks of, and this may or may not be why Cavill is not returning to DC at all, is they kind of wanted him to be the Tony Stark, the linchpin that kind of connects all of these. So I doubt we will see him in Shazam. But yeah, I mean... There's a rumor that he shot a scene for Shazam. I know, like, I I heard that too. We will Mm -hmm. see. But I think if they just do these little things, you know, and build it really slowly, if they plan on doing a universe at all. If not, sure. But I think just starting slow, putting little things in... So Suicide Squad being a full reboot with some new characters, mm-hmm. I say go for it. I mean, it is going to be kind of weird because we did just see the origin story of the Suicide Squad like two years ago. It's only weird if it doesn't work. True. Only weird if it doesn't work. If it works, then it's fine. Yeah. Uh, speaking of a movie that, oddly enough, worked and made a boatload of money. And yes, I did say boatload because... Meg, or The Meg, the giant shark movie, uh, there are talks of a sequel happening to this giant shark movie. I'm not surprised at all. The produ- the producers uh, were doing a panel for Pet Cemetery, which they are also involved in that same producer, uh, Lorenzo Di Bonaventura, and somebody asked him, for whatever reason, I'm not sure why they made the connection with Pet Cemetery and The Meg, but somebody asked about it and they said we're working on a script so yeah you never know until you get a good script and then later on one of the uh, chinese producers that they co-produced the film with said a sequel is definitely the plan it's still in the very early stages but we're working on it we're trying to keep it secret this time (laughs) so there is that um i mean the make made over 500 it made so much money so, yeah, it's definitely getting sequels. I mean, very few movies, you know, can can pull that off to be like a silly shark attack movie and make $500 million, but mm-hmm. it did. So, yeah, for sure get a sequel. Why not? <laughs> Why not? I, I, I guess. I just am not sure what else. I mean, yes, they made multiple Jaws movies and they have made multiple other sea monster movies. I just, yeah, that will be weird if it happens. But, hey. Go for it. Wait, why, why is that weird? I just don't know where you go from it. Like, so you have, there happens to be another pocket of geothermal stuff and happens to be another Megalodon. People make whatever sort of bridges <laughs> they need to get to a sequel. We were just talking about Terminator. Right? They, it, it, it felt like a, a closed story, but no, they gave us a sequel where they're sitting Arnold now. Arnold's back and Arnold's protecting and now there's a new a new cooler faster sleeker T1000 like mm-hmm. yeah you can do whatever to make a sequel yeah whatever, whatever kind of you're building a world around it guess what there's another meg out there and it's <laughs> now it's off the pacific coast even more meg than last time yeah it's a bigger meg more yeah. people involved more kids on a boat more kids more kids in danger Ugh. more kids more, being uh, you know, so dumb and a dog that of course survives, right? Or, or you know another underwater facility that they have to save, or they, they've got to you know it's 
it's somehow going to interrupt the Summer Olympics or whatever. Who knows? <laughs> they'll, they'll figure something out. Yeah. But it's all you need is, you know, Jason Statham, a few other moving pieces, a gigantic CGI shark, and a, a story that's going to give you some jump scares, some crazy moments, and some blood, and you're fine. Yep. So, again, super early stages on that. They, have, they do not have a completed script yet, but that could very well happen. Speaking of another movie that this is, again... Just bizarre. So, Nicolas Cage, who is one of the most confusing actors alive, is he confusing? You and I have you and I have seen his trajectory go from Oscar winner and doing some like really interesting projects. I personally really like the National Treasure movies. Uh, I like the first one a lot. I I mean I like this. I just I like that genre a lot, and so. Say what you will about the films themselves, but we saw that, and then we started to see him take any role in any movie at any time. I don't know if that's true. I don't know if I would say that. I think he takes very interesting projects. I think he can choose to take interesting ones. I also think he just likes to work. He just likes being an actor, and so he will say yes to what seems like just about everything. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if I. I don't know if that's true. I think the stuff he picks is interesting, and he's working a lot. I don't think it's like you throw a script in front of Nick Cage, and he's just like, "Yes, I don't don't need to read it." So, speaking of scripts being thrown in front of him, uh, he was cast in a new movie where he will battle fearsome alien invaders in a sci-fi martial arts movie called Jujitsu. Let me read you the log line. For this film, <clears throat> uh, this is my, me putting on my producer hat. The film is set in a world where every six years, an ancient order of expert jujitsu fighters faces fearsome extraterrestrial invader in a battle for Earth. For thousands of years, the fighters who protect Earth have played by the rules until now. Uh, when Jake Barnes, a celebrated war hero and master jujitsu fighter, refuses to face Brax, the indomitable leader of the invaders, the future of humanity hangs in the balance. Uh, after brutal alien attack, he's rescued by Wiley, Nicolas Cage, and a team of fellow jiu-jitsu fighters who help him recover his memory again and regain his strength in order to band together and defeat Drax in an epic battle that will once again determine the fate of mankind. Yeah, all right. What in the hell is that? Like, So this is actually based off of a comic book called Jiu-Jitsu, which was written by uh, the guys who are making this film. So at least you have that connection. But my goodness, that sounds insane. Well, a lot of things sound bad on A lot of them sound... <laughs> John Wick sounds insane on paper, right? It Not works. really. John Wick is just like, a revenge story. John Wick sounds insane on paper. If you're trying to explain the Continental and this underworld hitman society, uh-huh. you're like, okay, The Matrix sounded insane on paper. No, if the Matrix ripped the... off a bunch of stuff, or at least there were touch points. This is but a jujitsu competition with aliens. It's out, things can sound. <laughs> my point is, things can sound insane on paper. Uh-huh. They can. They can make this work. They can make it work. I, I love your optimism. Tim, I'm it, it is one of your work. finest qualities. <laughs> they can make it work. You're asking Nick Cage, who's not the lead in it, but he's uh, in yeah, it. he is. No, he's not the guy who gets. Oh well, he is not. Sorry. Yes, you're right. 
He is not the jiu-jitsu fighter who fights an alien for mankind. He's in in it. (laughs) He is the guy who helps the jiu-jitsu fighter fight an alien for the rest of mankind. He's in it. And if you can get a cool story, you know, it could work. Uh, I don't. I don't think it's gonna be like Oscar award winning. Right. <laughs> oh, you think? Wow, bold claim. But, you heard uh, it here first, kids. But I think you know. I think a film, films like that can work if handled properly. I don't. I try not to judge things as as they're read on paper before they hit the screen because it, it can sound, you know, movies sound fantastic on paper and they're they're terrible movies. This is basically like Mortal Kombat meets the movie Red Belt with Chiotel Ejiofor. Because that yeah. movie, Red Belt, is a beautiful movie. One of the best straight-out martial arts movies ever. Like, it is a really solid martial arts film. And this just, yeah, throw in some Mortal Kombat and some aliens for the fate of mankind. Sure. Sounds like a fun time to me. <laughs> I mean, I know I'm going to see it, but this is Sounds just Sounds like insane. a fun time to me. Uh, and Nick Cage. I like Nick Cage. He's, he's, he's solid. Like, he's not... He does interesting projects, but nothing where I'm like, Nick Cage is in it, can't see it. He's not there yet. True. He's not there. He just, sometimes he does stuff and I'm like, I might not see it, but it is not. it might not be because of him. It's just the movie, just for whatever reason. But transitioning from that uh, madness to a director who is consistently solid, one of the best of our generation, Christopher Nolan. He has a new secret project, like he always does, it seems like. Uh, and his next film, the thing that, I mean, they are not really talking about anything else of the film, but they did announce that they have cast John David Washington from Black Klansman to be in this super secret Christopher Nolan project. All we know, yeah. all we know of this movie is that it is being described as an event film. That is okay. it. I'm in. Yeah. And the difference, like, with with Nicolas Cage and Christopher Nolan, well, many differences, but with Christopher Nolan, he is somebody, regardless of what he puts his name on, I'm going to see it because of him. Like, he is so solid in everything that he has directed. Again, Dunkirk did not blow me away. I, I did not love it like so many other people did, mainly because it just it is a genre that I just am not a huge fan of. Like, World War II slash 20th Century War movies. Not my favorite genre, but it was a beautiful film. So, whatever the secret project is that he is working on, I'm on board. Absolutely. And John David Washington is a great actor. So, I'm sold on that. Uh, Then, the last bit is another film that is just stacking the deck with talent. Denis Villeneuve's Dune which comes out, I think, next year? I think they're shooting for a 2020 release. Yeah, it's a 2020 release. This has everybody in it. Like yes, this, it does. This is, this is the, the, the most stacked cast I have seen in a long time, and they just added somebody else that stacks it even more. Hans Zimmer will be doing the score. I'm like, not surprised. This movie, I mean, not, I mean, I would be excited for a Denny Villeneuve Dune movie regardless because it just i i love those books i think he has a great director but when you start putting in timothy chalamet rebecca ferguson oscar isaac dave batista's and dia i mean so many people it is just crazy javier bardem is in this 
it, it is going to be crazy. And so Hans Zimmer being attached to it, it absolutely makes sense. That How was, could this go wrong? What was that? First of all, Jason Momoa is also in this. Yes, he is. Uh, <laughs> how could it? How could it go wrong? I think for me, the, the pitfall that you could fall down with Dune is the story is so dense. Where mm-hmm. if you focus too much on kind of the world building, you might lose some of it. Like it is a meaty book. I mean, a meaty series. But even if you take the first book, there is a lot going on. You have political intrigue. They're doing two parts, though, right? I Yes. And so I'm not sure if they're doing a Peter Jackson thing and filming both at the same time. I've not confirmed that. I've not read that yet. Uh, I heard it's in two parts, which is probably... You don't run into the sort of the pacing issues that Blade Runner 2049 had. Exactly. And I think that, again, like I was saying, that could be the only issue is how much they decide to kind of put in there. Did you remember? Do you remember watching the sci-fi channel miniseries of dune yeah long time ago that was actually really solid because they were able to over the course of a few episodes kind of tease out some of those larger concepts here's a problem you run into Mm -hmm. all right and i i I like Denis, but here is movies prisoners enemy sicario arrival but we're in 2049 right Mm -hmm. they're all they all have the same kind of pacing in them it's very drawn out. It's very like a deliberate, like sort of plotting pace, mm-hmm. you know. So he's might potentially be bringing that same style to Doom, and I hope it doesn't have the same issues that Blade Runner had, where it's such a long movie and it's so paced out that you lose people initially, despite the cast and mm-hmm. despite how cool it looks. I'm I'm hoping he doesn't. That that's not what happens. Yeah. No, that, that, I mean, it makes sense. It is a valid concern because, again, Blade Runner, amazing cast, amazing score, amazing visuals, but oof. The the pacing was just, you know, a beat too slow. And I didn't, I didn't dislike it, but talking to regular moviegoers, that was a problem they had. And the runtime, a lot of people I talked to saw the runtime and were like, oh, that's too long. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, definitely. I know people who, did not see it for that reason or did not see it in the theater. They, they're like, Oh, I finally rented it. And I watched over a couple nights and it was like, oof, like that, (laughs) that almost makes it not worse. I mean, that is not the right word, but if you delay it, like just, it is best just to, if it is three hours, block that time off and try and power through. Because if you watch an hour and a half and then the next night you're like, all right, here we go with the next hour and a half. That is going to be rough. Yeah. So we can do it, you know, but he's got to give audiences something to keep them engaged for, because, you know, the first, the original Dune, it's a long movie. It is. Yeah. Sort of not the most exciting action packed thing. No. Uh, Oh, you mean you do not like watching giant hologram square armor fights? Yeah. (laughs) Right. Right. So it's got those moments and it's got Mm -hmm. familiar faces and it's got these things in it. And it's fine, but, you know, if you're going to update this film, I need you to spice it up a little bit. Something. Ha, spice it up. Clever. Exactly. Got to spice it up. But, you know, hopefully they figure something out. Yeah. So, I mean, I just, I am so on board with this film. So, yeah, definitely excited for that. All right. That was it for the Geek News. Now, recently, this past weekend, 
uh, Tim and I, we kind of barely saw each other because we were there different days, but Emerald City Comic Con 2019 stormed into downtown Seattle yet again for the, I think, seventh year. Does that sound right? Of what? Of Emerald City Comic Con. Oh, long than seven years. I feel like this one is only... I know that there have been a bunch of other cons, but I think as Emerald City. But regardless, uh, Emerald City Comic Con, you know, was here four days, Thursday through Sunday, stacked with panels and guests and so many multimedia uh, kind of exhibits there. What were your thoughts of this year's 2019 kind of overall before we get into kind of a couple of the panels that we saw uh, individually? Um, it was different this year. I mean, things were spaced out differently. The, mm-hmm. you know, the exhibition floor looked different. You know, they moved the main stage and the celebrity autographs and photo ops all to the higher Regency, which is a couple of blocks away. Mm-hmm. So it was different, the different setup and there was security and, you know, you had to sort of go through metal detectors every time you went in, but it worked. The lines were never too long. Yep. Um, people seemed to be in a pretty solid mood. Um, the vibe was really good in there, and it was you know, it, it was it was you know it was definitely a different looking con than most years. But mm-hmm. I think having things kind of spread out helped a lot, and you no, know, still packed. But yeah, I liked it. I, uh, I didn't mind the change. Neither did I. I mean, that was something that a lot of people were, you know, very vocal about. You know, not liking, you know, having multiple venues that were a block, one block apart. I was seeing people online being like. Oh, it's really inconvenient that it's five blocks away. I have no idea what Hyatt they were going to, but it was literally one block away. Like, it was on the other side of the block from the Washington Convention Center. So that was a little bit weird. Um, After covering New York City Comic Con the past couple years, I definitely see the big difference between the two. And I know that this was the first year that Reed Pop fully did... Emerald City Comic Con. They yeah. bought it a couple years ago, but it was still kind of a joint venture between Reed Pop and the former owners. This was the first year Reed Pop took complete control. And I, I, yeah, I mean, same with you. I did not mind having the multiple venues. I think it makes sense. You know, it kind of spreads things out a little bit. I mean, even with that being said, inside the convention center is still shoulder to shoulder almost everywhere you go. So, I also realized that this year there were not really some, like, huge A-list stars. I know that you saw Sonequa Martin-Green at her panel. Mm-hmm. And, like, the Boy Meets World cast was there. The Stranger Things cast was there. George Takei was there. And Gwendolyn Christie. And, I mean, I kind of grouped those together with Boy Meets World. And Boy Meets World is not really at that level. But I was kind of surprised that there were not as many kind of of those upper-tier celebrities, especially upper-tier celebrities that were doing panels or that had something new to kind of promote. How did you feel about that? It never really bothers me. I'm not really too concerned about that. I mean, it's it's sort of out of our hands, right? It's, it's mm-hmm. scheduling. It's, For sure. it's what people are doing. you got people who, who commit and drop out. And, and this is something that they're planning, you know, a year ahead. You know, oh, they're planning, trying to get these guests. So you know, I don't. It doesn't bother me. If they, I'm sure if they could get the biggest of the biggest names, they could, they would. But you know, if they can't, they can't. And I don't. I don't stress too much about it. It'd be great, mm-hmm. but I don't. It doesn't bother me too much. Yeah, 
Uh, speaking of Sonequa Martin Green, though, of Star Trek Discovery, of course, uh, you got to see her panel. So what was I that? I did. Like? It was packed. It was nice in there. Um, she was really, really actually much shorter than I, I thought. I don't know why. Really? I thought she was taller. Yeah, I don't not know why. Not like Logan Brown? Logan Browning short? Come on. Nah, let her not. Okay. I'm not doing that right now. Come on. <laughs> She's great, though. She she was funny and talked about her processes, like working through playing these really sort of damaged characters on Star Trek and The Walking Dead and how they sort of created the character for her and how she auditioned for Michonne and, you know, and she she, she got beat out by Deny. Deny, Deny is great. Mm-hmm. And she talked about really wanting to be a Black Panther and one of the people who was asking a question. And that's the thing. People ask really, really good questions this year around all the panels. Which is good. Um, Sometimes, as you and I both have seen, those questions are rough. (laughs) They can can be like, hi, I made this lunchbox for you with your face on it. Can you just... I'm on FaceTime with my friends. Can you say hi? Like it's a lot of it was none of <laughs> that this year. <laughs> yeah. So so one of the people who had asked Sonequa a question said, you know, they thought she'd make a great storm, and I was like, Ooh. oh, she would make a great storm for the new X Men. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That was pretty cool. Um, yeah. She. <laughs> I don't know the read. I don't know how they decide these people who do the panels, but the woman who was doing the Star Trek panel. Oh yeah. Uh, she messed up some pretty basic Star Trek terms. Uh, you could hear like the groans of the Ooh. crowd. Like, you didn't get you said Vulcan wrong. How did you mess that up? Yikes. Um, yeah, and, and, it, and it wasn't like a uh, like a, a fumbling of the term. It was like clearly she's not a fan of the show. She's just like she just it was, guess, she was at work basically. It was yeah. I can see she was reading something. And I was like, oh, you're reading this thing that you've never watched, and you just. <sighs> And your brain is telling you, oh, it's Volcan. Of course it is. Oh, no. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. So I'm always, it's always hilarious when that happens. Like, just get someone who watches the show. Right. Find a person who's a fan. There's plenty of people who do media. Just find a person who's a fan. Which I think also, I mean, similar to the Q&A section, which you and I have been witness to some just train wreck Q&As. Yeah, get somebody on the panel. Like, get the moderator mm-hmm. who know not just knows... The material not just knows the actor or actress, but knows the material, like at right. least a basic knowledge of things, right. because you know that you are sitting in front of. Uh, I think the the main stage had like eight hundred people or something ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. that is the eight hundred people who know who know. Everything. That's why that you can feel it get tight in the room. Oh. Like, you know how Star Trek fans are, and it's just, it's just funny. Like I could they do the thing that these these moderators do, which is they act super engaged. Of course. And they're huge fans. And they're just so excited to talk about this thing. And hey, we got any Star Trek Discovery fans in the house? Yeah. Yeah. And they get all excited and then they get up there and through the conversation you realize quickly, oh this person isn't a fan of any of this stuff. They're just <laughs> right. up here reading off a cue card and, and trying to And I feel bad for them because it's like, yo, you gotta like take I'm sure she's been doing stuff all weekend. Sure. So she's doing, you know but you've got to, they've got to prep these people better or something. Yeah. That was something that I think some of the best moderators I have seen was actually at Ace Comic-Con last year. Yeah. Like all of the moderators were super knowledgeable about the subject, about the actors they were sitting down with. I think because Ace focused so much on the celebrities yeah. that they got people, they were able to get people to talk to them who were either industry professionals 
or just kind of had a good working knowledge of the projects they were talking about. Would have killed them to say, hey, I'm a big fan of Sneaker Martin Green, but I don't know much about Star Trek Discovery. Yeah. No, wouldn't kill you. Yeah. Fans would be like, oh, I respect that. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, then you have that transparency up front versus right. finding out 10 minutes in that, yeah, it is just rough. Like, remember when uh, when we saw at Ace uh, Cheo Harari Coker, like, yeah. the guy who was his, I mean, it was just the two of them, like, they had known each other for decades. For a while, yeah. Like, they talked about, re- like, he was a music reporter back when mm-hmm. Che was doing this and just back and forth, and it was like, okay, this works. Like, then it feels right. like a true conversation and not a, tell me about the Volcans and Klegons. Yeah, I, I was like, oh, no, you, <laughs> you might not make it out of here, yo. Right. Uh, yeah, like, I actually did not go to any of the, the big name panels this year at Emerald City Comic Con. Um, I focused on, actually, some of the, the smaller ones that my friends were a part of and putting on. So, like, the first one was POC representation in media and film uh, that my friend Abby... And Mary and Hiromi and Yon put together. That was really great because they talked a lot about... Uh, they were giving awards to mm-hmm. films from last year that really kind of celebrated diversity. And one of them that was really cool was a, it was a normalized diversity role. It was called the Maria Morales Normalized Diversity Award. Because Maria Morales in Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, there are times when she is just talking to Miles... She slips into Spanish. There are no subtitles, and you just roll with it. Like it was never, yeah. it was never a thing. Because I was like, oh, never took me out the movie. It was exactly. Just... <laughs> it was never something yeah. like anybody who has spent time in New York. You have been around people that will slip in between one, two, maybe three languages. Oh, listen! If you've ever had friends who, who whose parents are, are bilingual, that's something you've seen all the time. All the time. Yep. Yeah. So Spanish, was, Korean, Japanese, Chinese, Vietnamese, I've, I've seen it all. <laughs> yep. I'm not kidding. Like, I've seen it all. Well, it was always interesting growing up because, like, my buddy who would be over, he'd be calling his mom, just kind of, like, checking in, and then he would let out this big, heavy sigh and then go into his native tongue, which was Korean, to basically make his mom happy, to be like, fine, you know, and go yeah. into it. So, but yeah, just so they talked about that and just kind of the normalized diversity, you know, that we well, saw there. Uh, I, well, I think that one went to... Oh, no, that one, I think they presented that. I got the... It was a little bit confusing as far as the award ceremony, but they gave an award to um, the actress from Supergirl, um, who... I can't remember her name right now. She is the the trans actress who plays a trans character on Supergirl. Yes. I don't know about Yeah. And it just... It is a thing. Like, she, she mentions it in an episode, and then it never really gets brought up again. Like, that, that type of normalized diversity... <laughs> is what we need more of. I'm just being like, hey, this is a thing. This is happening. This is 2019. Just roll with it. So that was really cool. And then I also went to creating geek content, blogging, vlogging, and podcasting. Oh, my. Uh, that our buddy Nick Jaren from Northwest Nerd uh, was on, as well as Joel and Will uh, and a couple other people that just talked about everything from and Luna Lyric, who is a huge, like, big-time streamer uh, and cosplayer, and there's talked about kind of the process of getting into vlogging or blogging or podcasting and kind of really what it takes, like the sacrifices that you have to make. Luna, she was saying that she pretty much like this is her job. Like it is her full time job. She has been full time for two years. She has to have like almost 24 hour access to her fans and to her Twitch stream and all of this. So even though she sets hours for herself, 
she talked about just how it, it can be really difficult to just turn everything off and just relax. So that was really interesting. And then the last panel I went to was the real nerds of comedy that my buddies, that my buddies Silas and Manny from their podcast, black and a half podcast that it was them and a few other comedians who all share a passion for comedy, stand up comedy and geek humor. That was awesome. Like that was Saturday night. It was a great way to kind of in Saturday night, just kind of sit down, relax and hear some geeky jokes. So definitely shout out to all of those panels that I saw. And the only, did you go to any like screenings of TV shows or other? No, nah, the only thing I went to was the, the Stranger Things panel on Sunday morning. Oh, right. Which was packed like an hour before it started. Sheesh. It was like packed. I was like, oh, we're going to get here early. And then we got there and it was like, we're sitting in the back. <laughs> it was packed out. Uh, the kids were real, real brief. The kids were great. They were really funny. They didn't give away any spoilers. Did you uh, guys get to three. see anything? Nah, they're not giving away anything. Okay. Netflix is not up on lock. Uh, July fourth, it's it airs season three. But they, what I appreciated about the kids talking, it was four of them, and they talked about they're very self aware of their celebrity and what it means, and they talked about like like what's the name Finn talked about. Oh, Finn Wolfhard. Wolfhard talked about one of like, the most badass names of all time. Yeah, so, but it's just like they're not able to really be kids. Yeah, yeah. We're like, we're like we want to just do dumb. Shit. Excuse my language, but that's what he said, and we can't. Mm-hmm. I can't run in the mall. I can't like you know what I'm saying. Like every little thing I do is somehow on TMZ, and I can't do that. I can't just be a kid like a regular kid. And like you can see them as much as they're enjoying this process and they're enjoying. Um, you know, being able to travel, that's a piece of like, man, their friends. I, I'm looking at like their friends are able just to be kids and do dumb stuff online and they can't. Mm-hmm. They can't do anything. So, but they were, I mean, they weren't, he wasn't crying about it, but just, I like that they were very much aware of like, they're kind of under a microscope. Yeah. And I'm fascinated to see what they end up doing once the show's over because they're all very talented. Very talented. I mean, Millie Bobby Brown, you know, she is in the new Godzilla movie. Yeah. Uh, Finn is in it. Uh, I wait. Is he in? I think he. I think it's yeah. But it will be interesting. Like once, once Stranger Things wraps up, whenever that is. I did they say season three was the end? Uh, I'm not sure. Okay. Yeah, I was not sure if they have actually announced that or talked about it. So, but yeah, being so young in their career and so talented with the like all of them seem to have a really good head on their shoulders. So yeah, yeah, they do. I I am down to see kind of yeah where they where they end up, and I am super excited for Stranger Things season three. Uh, the only yeah the only screening that I went to was for Nosferatu, the new uh, AMC show based on the book by Joe Hill. Uh, we got to see the first episode, like the pilot. Is this is this spelled funny too? Yes, it is N O S number four, number or number A letter A and the number two. <laughs> which I had no idea. I have not read this book. I know my buddy Ryan loves the book. It made sense when I actually saw it in the show because it was a license plate of this yeah. old car. So mm-hmm. whether that is the same in the book or not, I have no idea. Uh, so yeah, we watched the first episode, the pilot. I like the ideas. I like the concepts. There were some really cool visual stylings that they had, but the editing was rough. And again, you know, I I do not know if this is 
the pilot as it will air, or if this is just kind of a special thing we see at Comic-Con, like we see every now and then. And this is the AMC show, right? Yeah. I mean, when I say editing, it was not necessarily the scenes in and of themselves, even though there were some continuity errors. It was mainly the transitions. There were like three different plot lines going on in this 60-minute pilot, and when it would transition from like scene to scene, it would fade to black and stay on black for like two seconds. Yeah, it premieres April 30th. Yeah, so this this is probably the pilot as, as it is going to air. Two seconds does not seem like a long time, but when it is a black screen for two seconds, no music, it feels like the credits are about to start and then it goes right into another scene. And that happened like seven or eight times. So it's just kind of jarring. But I do like the concept... Uh, so what's the what's the what's the plot of the story? The plot, from what I can tell so far, and again, I have not read the book before people are like before people come after me. Uh, there are multiple things going on, but basically, a young boy gets kidnapped uh, by this elderly gentleman, and he is driving him to Christmas Land, where all of the kids have all of the toys, and it is beautiful in Christmas Land. Spoiler alert: No, it is not. Uh, as they are driving, the kid starts aging, whereas the driver gets younger. The driver is played by Zachary Quinto, who is nearly unrecognizable in the old age makeup. Like, it was only until he really kind of starts transitioning and kind of what it seems to be draining the life force from this child that you start to see Zachary Quinto. That was really cool. Uh, you also have another plot line where you have this young girl who is connected somehow to this uh, but she is kind of off on her own adventure. Her, pa- <clears throat> excuse me. Her parents are getting divorced, or they're having some rough times. She is trying to navigate through that, and she is socially awkward. Then there's another girl who babysat the little boy who was kidnapped, and she has a magical Scrabble bag that we see with no context whatsoever. Okay. So it was pretty confusing, and I have no idea how these stories eventually intertwine if they do at all but it has enough that i'm interested but i i was not really blown away by it like nothing about it screamed i have to see this when it comes out it is more a it was interesting and i'm i will check it out kind of feeling so that was just that was kind of weird but uh and then the last thing i did on saturday night or kind of to end the weekend was I went to the after party that was hosted by the Comic Dads, who are another local podcast, big comic book geeks, uh, really cool guys. They hosted this awesome party at this 40th floor venue right downtown with views of Mount Rainier. Like, it was it was pretty spectacular. So we had a blast there. Uh, yeah, and that kind of wrapped up my Comic Con. Like, it, I was not able to spend as much time as I would have liked. I did not do I did not do any interviews. This time, because it was just a little bit too crazy. Uh, and then the last thing before we wrap it up with Comic-Con, who are some artists you want to kind of name check? I have a couple that I picked up some pieces from. Uh, if you have any, yeah, definitely shout them out. I don't have any. Okay. <laughs> Never mind. I don't, I don't have any of my, I didn't, I, no, I'm not prepared. Okay, fair enough. But they're on my Instagram. You can check Oh, them yeah, out. that is true. Yeah, you definitely are really good about that. Uh, just a couple quick ones. I picked up a, an awesome Nightcrawler. Uh, by Todd Nock. I love Nightcrawler. Um, I picked up an Emerald City Comic Con exclusive that Aaron Campbell did, uh, who obviously 
is one of my buddies, an artist for Infidel. This is for a series called Port of Earth. Uh, on your recommendation, I went to, let me pull up her name, uh, Irene Flores. This amazing Okoye in action, beautiful colors. Uh, super excited to frame that. And then a Black Panther and Storm in a dance club uh, from and Stephen Harris, where it says, Storm, Black Panther, get it in. And then in the middle of dancing, love it. So, yeah. So, overall, Emerald City Comic Con 2019, uh, it was good. It was not really, I don't really have any, like, huge, like, amazing experiences like I have in the past out of the Emerald City or New York. But it was still enjoyable for the time that I was there. I'm glad that I got to support um, all of my friends at their panels. You can see some of their uh, pictures and links on my various social media. So definitely check that out. All right. Moving on to the first movie uh, that I am going to review. I say I'm going to review because Tim, unfortunately, has not seen it yet. Uh, the film is Triple Threat. Not to be confused with Triple Frontier, which I just reviewed last week. Uh, Triple Threat is directed by Jesse V. Owens, and this basically takes the kind of top-tier American and European martial artists versus the best East Asian and Southeast Asian martial artists. So you have Michael Bisping, former UFC champion. Uh, you have Scott Atkins, Michael Jai White to represent the kind of European and American contingent. And then of the Asian martial artists, you have Tiger Chen, Iko Owais, and Tony Ja. All of those people that I just mentioned are specialists, both in real life, in their various martial arts pursuits, and in this film. The film is incredibly convoluted. Like, this storyline is all over the map, but essentially it starts off with this group of mercenaries led by Michael Jai White and Michael Bisbing. They need to go rescue... Scott Atkins from this Indonesian prison camp, kind of. Which, again, we never really know what it is. Uh, they do that, but of course, while doing that, uh, Tony Ja and Iko Owais... Well, actually, Iko is part of that Indonesian village. Everybody, you know, gets kind of blown up. He seeks revenge while also kind of playing both sides. And in the middle of that, there is this Chinese heiress who wants to donate a fortune to then get rid of the mob. It, okay. it is bizarre. Like, as far as the plot lines, it is crazy. But that is not why I went to see this movie. Or I went. I watched it at home. I had a screener. <laughs> that is not why I wanted to see this movie. And that is not really the reason most people are going to see this movie. They're going to see this movie because these are top-tier martial artists. Not just martial artists in film but legit martial artists doing what they do best, which is kicking people in the face. Uh, the fight choreography in this film is tremendous. You and I both love the fight choreography for John Wick. Like, yeah. It is some of the best that we have seen in a very long time. This is at that level with slightly less kind of gun kata that Keanu reviews where he just... His gun is his main weapon, and he fights and does jujitsu, but then shoots people seven times in the head. This one, the, what is amazing about the fight choreography is that Tiger Chen, he is kind of Yin Wu Ping's protege. 
Yin Wu-Ping is arguably the greatest fight choreographer of all time. Drunken Master, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, Matrix, any movie that you can think of that has phenomenal martial arts in the past mm, 40 years is most likely Yin Wu-Ping. Tiger Chen is his protege, so the fight choreography is spectacular. And what it does the best to me, or for me, is my biggest complaint with a lot of these movies is A, the camera is way too tight on the action, and B, it is edited within an inch of its life. As the example you and I have talked about before, Mile 22, you take Eco Weiss and you give him a garbage scene with 500 cuts in it in like three minutes. It's not a bad scene. It's just cut like crazy. The editing the itself is fine. The editing is crazy. At one point, like yeah. he snaps a man's leg and then you see the guy just up throwing a kick again. Yep. <laughs> just like, that um, happened. what? Yes. And this, this movie, I will say to its credit, not everybody is completely invulnerable which is what you see in a lot of these action movies where somebody gets into like this amazing fight thrown downstairs and then five minutes later they're in another amazing fight throwing down, being thrown down a stair. This one they're not completely invulnerable, but there is a little touch of that because you have to have that like a like, little bit of willing suspension of disbelief. But the other thing that I loved about this, the camera is 10 feet away for the most part. And not only does that make you see the actual fight choreography, but you see the actors doing most of their own stunts. That is phenomenal. Let people showcase what they can actually do. They have trained their life for these moments, and so with terrible editing, it can take that all away. But yeah, the cinematography... Who you reckon... What was that? I'm going to say, who you recommend in this movie too? Oh, if you... If anybody is an action film fan who is looking for solid fight choreography, a plot that makes no sense, but just great action from some of the greatest martial artists that we have on screen, go see this movie. Like this, the, it is filmed in various parts of Asia. There are like four different languages presented in this film, spoken in this film. And I loved that. I do wish that there was a little bit more of the native languages in there. Every time that, a couple of the characters were going through their English lines. It felt very odd in the sense where not only was the line cheesy, but you can tell that there's a little bit of a, a struggle sometimes with it. So let them just speak the native language. We're already reading subtitles for large chunks of the movie and we're not there for the story anyway. <laughs> uh, but yeah, Michael Jai White, who I can't remember. Have you met him before? Yeah, I did. Yeah, that guy is gigantic. He's a big dude. <laughs> like, Not tall, but like he's big. He, I mean, he is just 200 pounds of he's muscle. Like, he's been like a running back. Right. Yeah, exactly. like Marshawn Lynch. Like when you right. if you ever exactly. ran in, ran into physically ran into Marshawn Lynch, you hurt yourself. So, he's he's uh, real like that. Yeah. So, the fight choreography is incredible. The plot is ridiculous and messy. Uh, but yeah, uh, definitely go see it if you're looking for action. So, with that being said, the rating system for the About to Review podcast, there are three choices, no letter grades, no stars. Three choices are good, bad, or ugly. Good film is something you would recommend. 
a bad is something that did not really blow you away and not something you would recommend, but it was okay. And then ugly, avoid at all costs. Triple Threat, uh, directed by Jesse Johnson, starring some of the best martial artists on screen today, gets a good. Watch it on, like, it is doing a weird release where it is on one night in the theaters. And then they will kind of gauge it from there to see if they keep it in theaters or just dump it on VOD. So, kind of weird. If you get a chance to see it in the theater, try and do that. But if not, probably wait a couple weeks and it is going to be available. So, super excited for, for that movie. Because it was just, I had a bunch of fun watching it, even though it made no sense whatsoever. Uh, next film. Switching gears completely from a martial arts epic uh, taking place in Southeast Asia to the film Gloria Bell starring Julianne Moore uh, John Turturro and Brad Garrett, Michael Sarah, a few other people uh, this is directed by Sebastian Lelio and the description of this movie is a free spirited woman in her 50s seeks out love at LA dance clubs so this is I, I will fully admit and I think you and I, I mean, being film critics, sometimes we have to be very honest with ourselves and realize when movies are, we are not the target demographic for certain movies. A movie about a middle-aged female divorcee navigating, you know, her adult kids and the relationship that they have and her dating life, I am not the target audience for this at all. Uh, I'm not sure when the last time you kind of had that experience was when you watched a film and you had that type of reaction can you remember one no i mean i don't know i don't really approach my films that way whether or not i'm the audience for it or not mm -hmm. i'm sort of like into the film and if it's a good film i'll watch it whether I, whether it's targeted towards me or not like i, I like isn't romantic isn't targeted towards me at all it's, it's a romantic comedy but i enjoyed the fact that it was a parody and sort of a very self-aware romantic comedy that made fun of all the ridiculous they didn't even list them like all the ridiculous sort of tropes in the genre um yeah so i try not to approach my films mm -hmm. that way because i don't want to take myself out of it i want to sort of go in with with uh as open to mind and the cleanest slate as possible absolutely and with this one i went into it not knowing anything i came to that realization about 30 minutes in so going into it i had not really seen a trailer for it all i knew is that sebastian lilio was directing it he directed the original in 2013 um and sebastian i mean i am a huge fan of his with fantastic woman disobedience with this so i will see his movies regardless so i went into this not knowing the story um, so you are the target audience you, you're a fan of his i'm a fan of his the subject matter of the movie itself uh and i went really in depth on this film or more in depth on an episode of cinema squabble uh, a podcast that I will link below, another local one with Adam Gerke and Sarah Michelle Fetters. We talked about this like two weeks ago after we had just seen it. So I will actually link that below if you want to hear kind of a more in-depth conversation about it. But I loved the music in this. They spent a ton of money on licensing for the music. Julianne Moore gives a great performance that I fear not many people are going to see. This is one of those kind of roles and movies where an actress or actor is great in it, but due to either limited release schedule or time of the release, not many people are even going to get a chance to see this. So, and that is a shame because she truly is really great. John Turturro's character who she starts dating later in the film. 
Uh, he is good also. He has a bunch of like kind of PTSD style quirks and he is also a divorcee and has kids and it is kind of messy. So overall, I mean, again, I'm not going to go too much into that because you can listen to me talk about it on a different podcast that I will link below. Uh, but yeah, Gloria Bell gets a good, really solid film. Uh, if you are in the mood for kind of a, a different take on the modern love story, give this one a shot and I, and I think you will enjoy it. All right, now to the last movie and one that we got out of the theater like an hour ago. Tim, set us up for Us. Us is the second movie from Jordan Peele, the follow-up to Get Out, which was sort of a critically acclaimed horror film when no one knew that Jordan Peele could do horror. Mm-hmm. Um, it stars Peter Nyong'o, Winston Duke, Elizabeth Moss, um, and the kids. I'm messing up the girl's name. Should die. Shahadi, Shahadi Joseph. Uh, Shahadi and Evan Wright Alex. Joseph and sort of Evan Alex. Joseph. And uh, Yahya is in this one. Yeah, Yahya Abdul Mateen the second. Yeah, yeah, and Anna Diop plays plays. Uh, she's in it as well. Who, mm-hmm. You know, people know from Titans on on uh, the DC streaming service, right. the Titans show. She's on that show. Uh, and uh, anyway, uh, it's about this this family that's on vacation, staying at sort of their summer home, and they are confronted by a group of people they realize are clones of themselves and or doppelgangers of some sort, <laughs> some sort. So, um, who for all intents and purposes are trying to kill them. So the family is then now on the run as these people who sort of know every move they're going to make are on their tail. Now that's as much as you can talk about the movie without spoiling it. There's like a, a larger story they're telling and, and other things happening uh, that I don't want to spoil for people. Mm-hmm. But that's the gist. Of what, what you see in the trailer is kind of the gist of the film. Like they, this family's being hunted and they're trying to outwit and outsmart these people. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, one of the things that really impressed me with this from the beginning is whoever Jordan Peele's cinematographer and DP, director of photography, is they need to work together always. The color play that we see in the beginning with this, when she kind of goes into this, uh, not haunted house, uh, like House of Mirrors. Yeah. And even outside of that, like, there are just such vibrant... It's a beautiful film. Yeah, like, just the color choices are incredible. And a different style of color choices. Like, with If Beale Street Could Talk, that cinematography and that color was like this kind of muted beauty Mm -hmm. this is a lot more vibrant but that same sense that same style of like it is so deliberate yeah you can tell someone put some thought into it i walked away with like with a couple a couple my big takeaways was that the home invasion stuff is really cool yes It's, it's super intense uh those scenes are really uh really kind of crazy in the way the camera doesn't reveal too much of what's happening in the room Mm-hmm. It sort of is fixated on a few things. Um, there's a scene where a character um, is taken out of the room, and you don't really get to see what's happening. Yeah. You kind of think you're hearing some stuff, but you're not really sure. But meanwhile, you're focused on this really intense conversation that's happening in in, in front of the camera. Meanwhile, you're aware that I just saw this person get 
taken away, like what's happening. Mm-hmm. So it's really good at that kind of stuff. Um, even the second home invasion scene where, you know, someone ends up in a house and you, you don't really get to see what's up with that person for a very long time. Yeah. Well, I mean, that and I like that the doppelgangers, for lack of mm-hmm. a better term, I mean, speaking of that home invasion and the way it was shot, the way they move, like they, they yeah. physically move is another deliberate choice. Yeah. Like Lupita Nyong'o's uh, doppelganger has this very uh, meticulous kind of like back straight robotic movement versus almost everybody else where you can tell the camera speed felt like it was ratcheted just like two levels up. Yeah. Like the people move just a little bit too quickly, but within mm-hmm. the same scene as everybody else. And that is just, it was such a unique take yeah. where just to see somebody kind of like skitter away. Yeah. And it, it, it definitely made them stand out on the screen, especially when you're, you know, on screen with other people who are moving at a normal pace and someone else is moving like, you know, two frames faster. Mm-hmm. You're like, Oh, this is, this is creepy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the other thing is Lupita Nyong'o is really, really good in this. Oh my gosh. Yeah. She is like legitimately good. I mean, she's playing two very strong roles. Um, she's got the most speaking part. She's on camera the most. It's essentially her her journey we're mm-hmm. watching. But she really nails all of it. The terror, the emotion, and when she's playing her doppelganger, she's sort of this angry woman on a mission who's, you know, is sort of chasing this, this family down. Um, so she's able to do both very, very well. Mm-hmm. Uh, in a way that I didn't anticipate. Like, I know she's a good actress, and I've seen her in a lot of things. And she's got that great speech in 12 Years a Slave, and she was good in Black Panther, and she's been, like, good in everything I've seen her in, but this was, like, something... This was a gear I didn't know she had. Yeah, this is just this a, a very so cool. unique performance, because when we kind of first get introduced to her, I mean, she is just normal, you know, mom of two kids and wife and everything, and she has this strong personality... But when we actually get to not just see, but hear her doppelganger and just the voice inflections and some of that is probably done in post. You know, you can tweak a little bit with the audio, but just her, the way she spoke, the way she emoted, it was just so unnerving yeah, and, and that's so sort of creepy. Hallway, that sort of hallway fight scene at the end is really, really good. And that's her. Yeah. Yeah. The yeah. choreography, the, and you see you know, kind of little bits and pieces of it at certain parts in the trailer. But there is a scene, yeah, at the end, kind of a culmination of things that has some incredible choreography. And again, just not just quote-unquote fight choreography, but just general just blocking and design that goes along with the music. And again, I have to shout out the music. So he, again, Jordan Peele teamed up with uh, Michael Abel, or Abel, or Abel, Uh, just like he did with Get Out. The music in this film, it goes all over the place, yet it is still coherent. Like, it will go from the the song that we heard in the trailer, you know, from the Loonies, I got five on it, in this slowed-down, kind of like chopped-and-screwed version that is haunting, to then this choral piece called Anthem, which, as I was reading about that piece, because it just struck out, it struck struck me, and I looked it up after we saw the movie. So this choral piece that kind of sounds like a Latin, spooky, you know, thing. They're not saying anything. Those are just syllables. 
And he did that intentionally, that he just had this choir sing syllables because all he wanted to do was do the emotion and not have you worry about thinking about what they're saying or trying to figure out what they're saying. It is just sound. So there's a scripture that shows up in this film. Yeah, yeah, Jeremiah. Did you, did you read it? I did. Uh, do you want me to read it, or do you want? Do you have it pulled up? I, I can read it. Go for it. I have it pulled up. Therefore, this is what the Lord says: I, I am about to bring on them disaster that they cannot escape. They will cry out to me, but I will not hear them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that fits. Yeah, I was like, they kept showing up. I was like, let me look this up, and I read mm-hmm. it. I was like, ah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sounds about right. It, it definitely did. Uh, Winston Duke, his so dad funny. jokes were incredible. He was good. He was like comical. I mean, I mean, the only thing I compare him to is him sort of being this very stoic, Mubaku and mm-hmm. and Baku and all that. And he's you know, so I don't have a reference for him other than interviews. Like I saw him reading thirsty tweets was really funny. <laughs> um, but he was really comical and had like he had comedic timing. He's got like the the physicality and like sort of the handsome strong man vibe that Chris Hemsworth has and mm-hmm. also the comedic timing that Chris Hemsworth shows. Like Absolutely. I can still be very funny and self deprecating and hilarious and like be this nerdy guy and also you could put him in a suit and have him be like in a different movie he could be like the handsome bachelor. Yeah. Or a fierce warrior. Yep. Right. Or a superhero. So he's got that. So it was good to see him in that sort of his comedy bag and be able to pull off some of those jokes and be like like funny to the to down to the end. Like it was and also not to it's it's a straight up horror film. Yes. And it's a straight up it's more thriller than horror. To I was, me. Yeah, I was gonna talk about m- that also, but yeah, go ahead. Yeah. It's more thriller than horror to me. But it also isn't without its funny moments mm-hmm. and you know. It it still finds a way to, to get a good chuckle out of people. Yeah, I mean, and that that definitely comes down to Duke's performance. Uh, he Yeah, he really surprised me. One of the other things that I like, kind of tying into that panel that I saw with POC representation, is the normalization of diversity. This is a black family, husband, wife, son, daughter, and this is just a family. Like, nobody is a caricature. Nobody is saying or doing anything that we have seen in so many other films where it feels forced. This is just a family. Like that was again, it was impressive, even though it feel like I should not be impressed by it because it should just be normal. But I loved that. Like it was just a dad making dad jokes and a mom yep. <laughs> kind of shutting him down on multiple times. Yeah. And, and that the weird, awkward brother, sister relationship yeah. that, that, that siblings have, like it, it had a lot. They, they, they've got friends and the dad's competing with their friend's dad, the other husband, mm-hmm. it, he's got, it's sort of this silent competition they're having about their boats. All that stuff is normal stuff. And it just happened to be, you know, a, a black family participating in this part of the story. Yeah, that was great. This movie definitely from nearly the beginning of the film to the end has so many references to classic thrillers and classic horror films. Yes. That... One of our fellow critics who's sitting behind me, I was talking to him after the film. He was saying sometimes it almost took him out of it because he kept noticing them and he would add another note in his little binder. I think unless you are a deep cinephile, you might not pick out every single one of them. But even so, like when they are there, some of them are very obvious. There's a Home Alone reference that like they 
yeah. it is straight up a Home Alone reference that was hilarious in that moment. But there are like Rosemary's Baby ties. Mm-hmm. There are Poltergeist, The Shining. I mean, it it was it paid homage and did not just straight up kind of rip off some of Dawn that. Of the Dead. Yeah. Oh, definitely for sure. So that was just that was really impressive. The whole cast, when you have to pull kind of double duty like this and play your regular self and a doppelganger and the choices you have to make for to, to, to make it convincing, I think everybody did a really solid job. Yeah, I think so, too. And the kids are great. Yeah. The little two little kids were great. Like, they did a lot of heavy lifting. I wasn't sure if they were just going to be sort of, you know, how kids can be super annoying in these films. And yes. <laughs> their pawns get kidnapped and get drowned and be, you know in danger constantly and they weren't they had some agency and they sort of did their own thing and you know were, were in and on the fight with their parents which i really really appreciate yep absolutely uh yeah and like like I said at the beginning there's not much more we can talk about because it starts putting in twists and turns about 45 minutes in and then the rest is madness so it's it's violent. There's some there's some blood. There's a lot of blood. Yeah, and I had somebody reach out to me when they when they saw that I was watching the film. They hit me up and they were like, "I can't do torture porn and I can't do gore. No, it's Can not I that. do this movie? Yeah, it's not that. Yeah, and I and I told them I was like, this movie is definitely bloody, but not gory. And I liked it's that. Not, yeah, it's not gory. It's not you know it's not going to be what I've been hearing about Pet Cemetery. Yeah, oh, it's <laughs> it's, it's, it's it's violent. Hmm. Uh, but it's also is very much a thriller. Yeah. In in once, like I was, you know, with Kendon, and Kendon was saying, um, once it hits daylight, it feels much more like a thriller. Like at nighttime, when it's the home invasion stuff, it's like you're like, oh my god, someone's gonna get murdered, mm-hmm. and people are having to literally fight their way out of these homes. Um, but once it hits daylight, and the families move around in the daytime, it feels much more like a thriller. Like we've got a we're on the move and we're being we're being pursued by some something and we've got to get somewhere. It felt it had that vibe, which was less of like you know jump scares and and blood and guts and more like the you know we're trying to avoid the confrontation that we all know is coming. Mm-hmm. So and then how do they get to the resolution? Yeah, absolutely, totally agree. Uh, yeah. So I think that that is about all we can talk about at this moment. Uh, but the film opens soon, like it opens on Friday. Or actually, Thursday. It has a Thursday night opening. So your official rating for the film Us, the second film by writer-director Jordan Peele. It's a good, man. It's really good. It, it's it's different than Get Out, so I hope people aren't going in hoping to see like Get Out Part 2 or right. a movie with some deeper social commentary. It's kind of a straight-up thriller. It's it's violent. It's, it's fun. It's super entertaining. I was never bored. Mm-hmm. And it really, you know, it's got some very recognizable horrible horror elements, but also, you know, some some new stuff. And like I said, I thought the, you know, we, you talked about the way it's shot, the way they shoot these home invasion scenes is really good and really compelling. And I can imagine other directors would kind of steal some of that mm-hmm. and try to like remix it for their own films because it was really effective. Because in those scenes, not a lot happens, right? But it feels absolutely terrifying as you're watching it, and you you you're terrified for this family. Like, oh, I hope they get out of this because this is I don't know how they're gonna get out of this. This is insane. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I give this a good as well. Uh, 
without going into anything else, the core conceit of the movie, kind of what gets revealed in the in the late second and third act, I still am not too sure about. Oh, I had a lot of questions. Yeah, so I, I think maybe, yeah, off mic, you and I could talk about it, or once people get a chance to see it, then I, I need to hear some other opinions on it. Because, yeah, I... I'm a little bit confused, but it's a it's a cool concept. Some of it yes. looks really cool, but it's also like I have way more questions than I have answers when this is the thing. Absolutely, it's a lot of questions. Yes, a, a lot of questions. But yeah, definitely a good movie. Beautifully shot, beautifully scored, and and yeah, like I said, just the way that Jordan Peele has transitioned from his Key and Peele days and stuff that he did before that to becoming such a solid horror director, and people kept being. And I saw this on, on Twitter, some interview he did. Like, oh, he's the next Stephen King. He's the next this and this. And he was like, no, I'm the first Jordan Peele. And yeah. he is developing his style. He is curating his style. And I am 100% on board. Mm-hmm. So there we go. That was us. Uh, so quick recap. I gave Triple Threat a good. Gloria Bell a good. And Tim and I both gave us a good. Uh, what do you have coming up on the on the landscape? Uh, not a whole lot, man. Uh, you know, some reviews and getting prepped for this crazy movie season that is a around the corner for us. So just trying to you know get my time in, in the gym and, and relax and get ready for that. Nice. I saw that you guys are doing uh, uh, Harlem. We did Harlem Nights. Harlem Nights. Or made the on 80s. Made in the 80s. <laughs> we're doing Beetlejuice and... Uh, Scarface next. Was Beetlejuice eighties? I thought that was like ninety one. Hey man, I, I'm just. Oh, I mean, doing no, one know, <laughs> no problem. Hey, uh, but yeah, so doing that, Beetlejuice. That will be uh, linked below. Of course, Tim's other podcast, Made in the Eighties Pod podcast with Kendon and Shalia. Uh, yeah, same thing. Like as far as the About to Review podcast, uh, Dumbo is coming up. Uh, I might try and check out Hummingbird Project. Um, I had been hearing some interesting things about it, not necessarily good or bad, so it sounds intriguing. Um, and at the end of the month, uh, I will be going back up to Vancouver, British Columbia, uh, to cover the Vancouver Badass Film Festival. Uh, I will have more information about that next week. Um, I have some sponsors that I have to shout out uh, for that, as well as there. I think there's going to be an article um, about me that is coming out soon. <laughs> Uh, I will link it below, and it will be on my social media when that does uh, come out, and I will give more information when that happens. So, Sir, Beetlejuice, 1988. Was it really? It was before Batman. Oh, it was before Batman. Okay. Yeah. Because Mr. Mom then was like 86, 87. Okay. Interesting. 1988. How did they cast Michael Keaton as Batman and not Joker after doing Beetlejuice? How do you? Why do you? How do you think they cast him? Well, first of all, my hot take for the casting of Joker from back then: it should have been Christopher Lloyd. No. Uh, <laughs> why do you think they cast Michael Keaton as Batman? Michael Keaton as Batman? Mm, I do not know. Tim Burton directed Beetlejuice. Boom! There it is. Done. Of course. <laughs> yep, that makes sense. Uh, cool. So, uh, for this week's episode. Uh, Tim, where can people find you on social media? Uh, the People's Critic blog dot com, uh, People's Critic on Twitter, Instagram. Follow me, engage, ask me some movie questions. Uh, yeah, it's a good time. 
Fantastic. And then you can follow the podcast at About to Review on everything, aboutreview.com as well. If you have any questions, about to review at gmail.com. Uh, thanks again for everybody who participated in the Ask Me Anything I did on last week's episode. It was a lot of fun. Uh, there were more questions. There were almost a dozen questions that we did not get to. So I have already had people ask me if I'm going to be doing a uh, second part to that. I, I think I will. I'm not sure when, but yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun. So uh, cool. So for this week's episode, I have been joined by Tim, the People's Critic. And I have been your host, that guy named John. Thank you for listening, and we will see you next time. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat.